So good morning. We are in the second talk of the month of untethered spirituality. And this morning's talk is free from dogma. You know, that's something that Dr. Ernest Holmes used to say about our spirituality because it was a practical spirituality. He said this teaching was freed from dogma, duality, and superstition. It is a teaching of uh, practical spirituality and the knowledge of our oneness with spirit and with each other. So I wanted just to talk about dogma, just the definition of it for a moment. It is an official system of principles or tenets concerning morals or faith or behavior, such as you would have in a church. It is also a specific tenet that, or doctrine that is authoritatively laid down by an organization, you know, a prescribed doctrine proclaimed as unquestionably true by a group. So you could even have like political dogma. It is a settled or established opinion, belief, or principle that doesn't change. So, so I spent the week asking people um, you know, how would you define dogma? Like, what do you think of when you hear the word dogma, what comes to your mind? And about nine out of 10 people said the Catholic Church, <laughs> which, you know, I, I guess is probably normal. Made me laugh. Anyway, I believe all religions have dogma, right? But, but whatever. This is what Ernest Holmes had to say about it. This was from a talk, a Sunday talk he gave back in 1955. He said, theology is not religion. Theology is dogma about that religion. It may or may not be right. Every religion has some dogma. We do too. But religion itself is a belief in God. We do not believe in anything else but God. We do not believe there is anything other than God, that we do not believe there's anything opposed to God and or different from God or separated from God, right? That is the basic tenets of religious science. And so Ernest Holmes said it, right? All religions have some sort of dogma. Ernest said in that quote, we do as well, um, he didn't really go further with that, but I'm doing the research, so I'll get back to you. But I mean, you can think of like uh, papal infallibility, right? Uh, you know, of the Catholic Church. That's considered dogma. Um, the Bible being the inerrant word of God, factual word, that's dogma. Having to adhere to specific types of dress or a specific type of food or conduct is dogma, right? A rule book about what to do, what not to do um, in order to be a good whatever, that's dogma. And you know, I've researched Ernest Holmes' talks about dogma and what he might have thought of as dogma in religious science, and I really have not run across anything specific that he mentioned that he would call dogma in our faith tradition. So I can only speculate really as to what he was referring to when he said we have dogma as well. But I do, I go back to maybe core concept number one, the idea that God is all there is. And we take that as principle, which is one of the definitions of dogma. We take that as principle. God is all there is. And we accept it on faith and we prove the principle by practice 
observation and result. So maybe that's what Ernest Holmes was referring to. I, I really don't know. But this is the ground of our faith, is it not? This is the ground of religious science, is that God is all there is. No matter what you look at, no matter who you look at, no matter where you go, no matter what you, you're walking on, right? You are surrounded by, you are immersed in spirit. And, and so that, to me, if there is dogma in religious science, that is dogma. That we believe that everything, everyone, everywhere, every when, it is all spirit. And everything is spirit. And we get to experience as much or as little as we believe, accept, embody, embrace, and demonstrate. And that's what makes this a practical spirituality. We have to practice the principles. We have to prove them to us. And again, Ernest Holmes said that religious science is the greatest revelation that the world has ever experienced up to now, and that we are open at the top for further revelation. Open at the top. That's how Ernest Holmes described it. If and when we find a greater explanation of cosmology, you know, our life and our place in the universe, then we are open to that. We are open to examine it, to experiment, to prove it somehow that the new revelation is indeed truth. So, so for me, that idea, open at the top, it, it really indicates that, that what we believe is not dogma because we are open to further revelation. You know, again, dogma is that strict adherence to a belief system even in the face of opposing facts. Let's go back to the Catholic Church, right? Think about Galileo. Just for a minute. The man is excommunicated and imprisoned for life for discovering that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. But instead of being curious about this new discovery, it was rejected because it did not fit in the church's cosmology at the time, right? It would force the church to change its stance about a particular dogma that they were adhering to. So now Galileo died in January of 1642. He was 77 years old. And it wasn't until October 1992, the Pope John Paul II acknowledged the church made a mistake. Oopsie. <laughs> made a mistake in condemning Galileo for asserting that the earth revolves around the sun. And they said, John Paul said the theologians who condemned Galileo did not recognize the formal distinction between the Bible and interpretation. 350 years it took them to admit that mistake. That's dogma. That is the result of dogma, okay? And that's the difference between most religions and scientific inquiry, right? You know, when, like I said, when I ask people to, to define what they, what they think of when they think of dogma, like I said, nine out of ten people said the Catholic Church. But you know what? When I heard the word, when I was preparing actually for this talk, but when I hear the word dogma, I immediately go back to central dogma of biology, just because that's where I go to, because that was, that's what my degree is in, right? So I go back to the idea of the central, the central dogma of biology. 
It's the first thing I think of. And it is the absolute truth in cell replication through mitosis, right? DNA splits. It attracts messenger RNA. Messenger RNA attracts through ribosomes the proteins that then replicate the original DNA strand through the process of transcription and translation. That is the way our cells divide. It was all taken as gospel. And that's why it was called the central, the central dogma of biology. Until we ran across retroviruses. Ha! Huh, surprise! Retroviruses do not replicate in the same way. We all know viruses need a cell outside of themselves in order to replicate at all, but retroviruses do it differently. It then became the exception to the rule. The central dogma of biology then was violated by these retroviruses. And so instead of science doubling down on the central dogma of biology, they said, okay, prove it. Prove it in the lab. And so it was replicated over and over again in the lab. The scientific community said, hmm, interesting. How about that? Something we didn't know before. Something new. And so dogma evolves, right? It evolves because the scientific community is open at the top. They didn't just double down on the previously known knowledge and say, la, 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 not listening, you know. We have it all figured out. We're not going to listen to anything new because they're open at the top. When something new is proven, dogma has to go out the window. It has to in favor of a new discovery. And in the case of religious science, we are open at the top which means we act more like a science than a religion. And that's why I like to call us a faith philosophy more than anything else, because we are open at the top for further revelation. And if something comes along that contradicts the central tenets of our faith, we would do what we do with tenets. We would experiment with them. We would prove the principle. We would do the same thing, right? And then it becomes a new revelation. Ernest Holmes said this in Ideas of Power. He said, now at long last, cleared from the stupidity of dogma, cleared from the skepticism of sophistry and the rebuttal of unbelief, cleared from all the intolerance of over-intellectualism and spiritual stupidity of thinking that there is some God out there who favors one beyond another, you and I join in simplicity in our approach. The humbleness of our faith, the gentleness of our thought, the feeling of love, from our own heart that at least would say to the poor and to the weak and to the suffering, it doesn't have to be that way. So our faith tradition and our beliefs, the critical question really is always what beliefs are worth challenging and what are not? Because we are open at the top. What beliefs are worth challenging and what are not? And that, in, that answer is an individual answer. You know, Ernest Holmes, when he ran the organization, he would ordain ministers of religious science. Um, and he would ordain ministers who believed in reincarnation, even though he did not. 
Ernest Holmes did not believe in reincarnation. He did not think with the entire universe in, to experience and with eternity in which to experience why anyone would choose to return to this planet in this corner of the solar system, in this galaxy, sometime in the future. It just didn't make sense to him. When we have the whole entire universe to explore and we have in eternity in which to explore why we would come back here and do the same thing over again. And you know, in chapter 23, in the Science of Mind textbook, Immortality, it was the only chapter Ernest Holmes wrote in the first person. He spoke in, this, in the first person in that chapter only because he wanted to explain what he believed happens to him after he dies. But he wasn't trying to lay down a tenet of what happens to us when we die because he just said, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But he put forth his beliefs. He said, I do not believe in the return of the soul to another life on this plane. I believe in planes beyond this one, without number, in eternal progress. I cannot believe that nature is limited to one sphere of action. And I tend to agree with him. You know, it was his testimony of what he believed happened to him when he transitions from this world. But he never insisted that we must believe it in order to adhere to the science of mind and spirit. And so I, for me, that proves this idea that we are open at the top. And we are open at the top for further revelation, meaning we are free from dogma. Nobody gives you a book when you walk through the door at a, at a Science of Mind church or a Center for Spiritual Living and says, here, you have to believe this if you're going to be a good religious scientist, right? We are free to pick and choose. You know? And that eternal ongoingness of life that Ernest Holmes believed was true for himself. He did not make that a requirement of membership. You know, and it's also true of our teaching as a whole. Uh, Ernest Holmes always said, practice the principles. Practice the principles. That means prove to yourself the core concepts of science of mind are true for you. Prove to yourself that meditation changes how you think. Prove to yourself that practicing affirmative prayer changes conditions around you. Prove to yourself that affirmations change your attitude. Prove to yourself that visioning opens up infinite possibilities in your life. Prove to yourself that the principles of science of mind work to change your thinking and change your life. And what doesn't work, don't use. It's as simple as that. Because we are open at the top for further revelation. Because we are uh, free from dogma. Ernest Holmes said in What Religious Science Teaches, he said this, Religious science today offers the world what ages have been waiting for. It is the culmination of hope, 
the aspiration and the faith of the enlightened in all time. The truth it teaches is old. It has run through spiritual philosophies of all the ages, but it has always been more or less handicapped by dogma and superstitions imposed upon it by the theology of the times. The New Age demands that fear and superstition surrounding religious conviction be removed and that the truth, plain, simple, and direct, be presented to people so they may learn to live now in the present with the assurance that eternal God is our refuge. And what a wonderful dedication to the principles of the science of mind and spirit that we do practice them, that we do experiment with them, that we do try them out always and we prove the principles to ourselves. And what does not work, we just don't use. We are open at the top for further revelation. And that's the way Ernest Holmes wrote it, and that's the way it should be practiced. Huh? Maybe that's the dogma he was talking about, that we actively experiment with this faith, that we actively prove the principles to ourselves, that we use what works and we just leave what doesn't. But that we dedicate ourselves to the practice that we remove all doubt, that we immerse ourselves in the principle so thoroughly, right? Like that we leap into that sea of receptivity that Ernest Holmes referred to with just quite abandonment. And we prove the principles in such a way that it changes our lives for the better always. So I'm going to leave you with that this week. We're going to be talking all about the tenets of religious science this month because we are an untethered spirituality, free from dogma, duality, and separation, superstition, all of it, the illusion of separation, everything, everything, because it is the teaching that changes our thinking and changes our lives. Thank you very much.